Chapter Thirty of the Trespasser. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. The Trespasser, by D. H. Lawrence. Chapter Thirty. Beatrice was careful not to let the blow of Siegmund's death fall with full impact upon her. As it were, she dodged it. She was afraid to meet the accusation of the dead Siegmund with the sacred jury of memories. When the event summoned her to stand before the bench of her own soul's understanding, she fled leaving the verdict upon herself eternally suspended. When the neighbours had come, alarmed by her screaming, she had allowed herself to be taken away from her own house into the home of a neighbour. There the children were brought to her. There she wept and stared wildly about, as if by instinct seeking to cover her mind with confusion. The good neighbour controlled matters in Siegmund's house, sending for the police, helping to lay out the dead body. Before Vera and Frank came home, and before Beatrice returned to her own place, the bedroom of Siegmund was locked. Beatrice avoided seeing the body of her husband. She gave him one swift glance, blinded by excitement she never saw him after his death she was equally careful to avoid thinking of him whenever her thoughts wandered towards a consideration of how he must have felt what his inner life must have been during the past six years she felt herself dilate with terror and she hastened to invoke protection the children she said to herself the children i must live for the children i must think for the children this she did and with much success all her tears and her wildness rose from terror and dismay rather than from grief she managed to fend back a grief that would probably have broken her vera was too practical-minded she had too severe a notion of what ought to be and what ought not ever to put herself in her father's place and try to understand him she concerned herself with judging him sorrowfully exonerating him in part because helena that other was so much more to blame frank as a sentimentalist wept over the situation not over the personae the children were acutely distressed by the harassing behaviour of the elders and longed for a restoration of equanimity by common consent no word was spoken of siegmund as soon as possible after the funeral beatrice moved from south london to harrow the memory of Siegmund began to fade rapidly. 
beatrice had had all her life a fancy for a more open public form of living than that of a domestic circle she liked strangers about the house they stimulated her agreeably therefore nine months after the death of her husband she determined to carry out the scheme of her heart and take in boarders she came of a well-to-do family with whom she had been in disgrace owing to her early romantic but degrading marriage with a young lad who had neither income nor profession in the tragic but also sordid event of his death the waltons returned again to the aid of beatrice they came hesitatingly and kept their gloves on they inquired what she intended to do she spoke highly and hopefully of her future boarding-house they found her a couple of hundred pounds glad to salve their consciences so cheaply siegmund's father a winsome old man with a heart of young gold was always ready further to diminish his diminished income for the sake of his grandchildren so beatrice was set up in a fairly large house in highgate was equipped with two maids and gentlemen were invited to come and board in her house it was a huge adventure wherein beatrice was delighted vera was excited and interested frank was excited but doubtful and grudging the children were excited elated wondering the world was big with promise three gentlemen came before a month was out to beatrice's establishment she hoped shortly to get a fourth or a fifth her plan was to play hostess and thus bestow on her boarders the inestimable blessing of family life breakfast was at eight-thirty and every one attended vera sat opposite beatrice frank sat on the maternal right hand mr mcwhirter who was superior sat on the left hand next him sat mr allport whose opposite was mr holiday all were young men of less than thirty years mr mcwhirter was tall fair and stoutish he was very quietly spoken was humorous and amiable yet extraordinarily learned he never by any chance gave himself away maintaining always an absolute reserve amid all his amiability therefore frank would have done anything to win his esteem while beatrice was deferential to him mr allport was tall and broad and thin as a door he had also a remarkably small chin he was naive inclined to suffer in the first pangs of disillusionment nevertheless he was waywardly humorous sometimes wistful sometimes petulant always gallant therefore vera liked him whilst beatrice mothered him mr holiday was short very stout very ruddy with black hair 
he had a disagreeable voice was vulgar in the grain but officiously helpful if appeal were made to him therefore frank hated him vera liked his handsome lusty appearance but resented bitterly his behaviour beatrice was proud of the superior and skilful way in which she handled him clipping him into shape without hurting him one evening in july eleven months after the burial of siegmund beatrice went into the dining-room and found mr allport sitting with his elbow on the window-sill looking out on the garden it was half-past seven the red rents between the foliage of the trees showed the sun was setting a fragrance of evening scented stocks filtered into the room through the open window towards the south the moon was budding out of the twilight what you here all alone exclaimed beatrice who had just come from putting the children to bed i thought you had gone out no what's the use replied mr allport turning to look at his landlady of going out there's nowhere to go oh come there's the heath and the city and you must join a tennis club now i know just the thing the club to which vera belongs ah yes you go down to the city but there's nothing there what i mean to say you want a pal and even then well he drawled the word well it's merely escaping from yourself killing time oh don't say that exclaimed beatrice you want to enjoy life just so ah just so exclaimed mr allport but all the same it's like this you only get up to the same thing to-morrow what i mean to say what's the good after all it's merely living because you've got to you are too pessimistic altogether for a young man i look at it differently myself yet i'll be bound i have more cause for grumbling what's the trouble now well you can't lay your finger on a thing like that what i mean to say it's nothing very definite but after all what is there to do but to hop out of life as quickly as possible that's the best way beatrice became suddenly grave you talk in that way mr allport she said you don't think of the others i don't know he drawled what does it matter look here who'd care what i mean to say for long that's all very easy but it's cowardly replied beatrice gravely nevertheless said mr allport it's true isn't it it is not and i should know replied beatrice drawing a cloak of reserve ostentatiously over her face mr allport looked at her and waited beatrice relaxed towards the pessimistic young man yes she said i call it very cowardly to want to get out of your difficulties in that way 
think what you inflict on other people you men you're all selfish the burden is always left for the women ah then said mr allport very softly and sympathetically looking at beatrice's black dress i've no one depending on me no you haven't but you've a mother and sister the women always have to bear the brunt mr allport looked at beatrice and found her very pathetic yes they do rather he replied sadly tentatively waiting my husband began beatrice the young man waited my husband was one of your sort he ran after trouble and when he'd found it he couldn't carry it off and left it to me mr allport looked at her very sympathetically you don't mean it he exclaimed softly surely he didn't beatrice nodded and turned aside her face yes she said i know what it is to bear that kind of thing and it's no light thing i can assure you there was a suspicion of tears in her voice and when was this then that he asked mr allport almost with reverence only last year replied beatrice mr allport made a sound expressing astonishment and dismay little by little beatrice told him so much her husband had got entangled with another woman she herself had put up with it for a long time at last she had brought matters to a crisis declaring what she should do he had killed himself hanged himself and left her penniless her people who were very wealthy had done for her as much as she would allow them she and frank and vera had done the rest she did not mind for herself it was for frank and vera who should be now enjoying their careless youth that her heart was heavy there was silence for a while mr allport murmured his sympathy and sat overwhelmed with respect for this little woman who was unbroken by tragedy the bell rang in the kitchen vera entered oh what a nice smell sitting in the dark mother i was just trying to cheer up mr allport he is very despondent pray do not overlook me said mr allport rising and bowing well i did not see you fancy your sitting in the twilight chatting with the mater you must have been an unscrupulous bore maman on the contrary replied mr allport mrs mcnair has been so good as to bear with me making a fool of myself in what way asked vera sharply mr allport is so despondent i think he must be in love said beatrice playfully unfortunately i am not or at least i'm not yet aware of it said mr allport bowing slightly to vera 
she advanced and stood in the bay of the window her skirt touching the young man's knees she was tall and graceful with her hands clasped behind her back she stood looking up at the moon now white upon the richly darkening sky don't look at the moon miss mcnair it's all rind said mr allport in melancholy mockery somebody's bitten all the meat out of our slice of moon and left us nothing but peel it certainly does look like a piece of melon shell one portion replied vera never mind miss mcnair he said whoever got the slice found it raw i think oh i don't know she said but isn't it a beautiful evening i will just go and see if i can catch the primroses opening what primroses he exclaimed evening primroses there are some are there he said in surprise vera smiled to herself yes come and look she said the young man rose with alacrity mr holliday came into the dining-room whilst they were down the garden what nobody in they heard him exclaim there is holliday murmured mr allport resentfully vera did not answer holliday came to the open window attracted by the fragrance oh that's where you are he cried in his nasal tenor which annoyed vera's trained ear she wished she had not been wearing a white dress to betray herself what have you got he asked nothing in particular replied mr allport mr holliday sniggered oh well if it's nothing particular and private said mr holliday and with that he leaped over the window-sill and went to join them cursed fool muttered mr allport i beg your pardon he added swiftly to vera have you ever noticed mr holliday asked vera as if very friendly how awfully tantalizing these flowers are they won't open while you're looking no sniggered he i don't blame em why should they give themselves away any more than you do you won't open while you're watched he nudged allport facetiously with his elbow after supper which was late and badly served the young men were in poor spirits mr mcwhirter retired to read mr holliday sat picking his teeth mr allport begged vera to play the piano oh the piano is not my instrument mine was the violin but i do not play now she replied but you will begin again pleaded mr allport no never she said decisively allport looked at her closely the family tragedy had something to do with her decision he was sure he watched her interestedly mother used to play she began vera said beatrice reproachfully let us have a song suggested mr holliday mr holliday wishes to sing mother said vera going to the music-rack nay ah, it's not me holliday began 
the village blacksmith said vera pulling out the piece holiday advanced vera glanced at her mother but i have not touched the piano for, for years i'm sure protested beatrice you can play beautifully said vera beatrice accompanied the song holiday sang atrociously allport glared at him vera remained very calm at the end beatrice was overcome by the touch of the piano she went out abruptly mother has suddenly remembered that tomorrow's jellies are not made laughed vera allport looked at her and was sad when beatrice returned holiday insisted she should play again she would have found it more difficult to refuse than to comply vera retired early soon to be followed by allport and holiday at half-past ten mr mcwhirter came in with his ancient volume beatrice was studying a cookery book you too at the midnight lamp exclaimed mr mcwhirter politely ah i am only looking for a pudding for to-morrow beatrice replied we shall feel hopelessly in debt if you look after us so well smiled the young man ironically i must look after you said beatrice you do wonderfully i feel that we owe you large debts of gratitude the meals were generally late and something was always wrong because i scan a list of puddings smiled beatrice uneasily for the puddings themselves and all your good things the piano for instance that was very nice indeed he bowed to her did it disturb you but one does not hear very well in the study i opened the door said mcwhirter bowing again it is not fair said beatrice i am clumsy now clumsy i once could play you play excellently why that once could said mcwhirter ah you are amiable my old master would have said differently she replied we said mcwhirter are humble amateurs and to us you are more than excellent good old monsieur fanier how he would scold me he said i would not take my talent out of the napkin he would quote me the new testament i always think scripture false in french do not you ah my acquaintance with modern languages is not extensive i regret to say no i was brought up at a convent school near rouen ah that would be very interesting yes but i was there six years and the interest wears off everything alas assented mcwhirter smiling those times were very different from these said beatrice i should think so said mcwhirter waxing grave and sympathetic End of chapter 30 Recording by Martin Giessen 
in Hazelmere, Surrey.